Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. I'm so happy to have with me someone who came... I must admit that a white dude in Ireland introduced me to our today's guest, Dr. Ebon Joseph. Dr. Ebon Joseph, would you please introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, everyone. My name is Ebon Joseph. Um, so I'm, I'm based here in Ireland and I do a lot of things, you know, but one of the key things I do, my industry experiences as a career development consultant. But, you know, in the last few years, I've become a little bit of a disruptor. You know, um, in that, you know, I've, um, well, you know, been looking at the labor markets, looking at inequality in the labor market. So I teach across a number of universities. I started the first Black Studies module in the whole of Ireland. Now, while oh, wow. I speak that, and it sounds amazing, but it's also upsetting for me because in 2018 was the first time, was the first Black Studies module in the whole of Ireland. Oh, my and word. So today, it's actually still the only one. There's only one other college, you know, um, after the Black Lives Matter um you know, protesting in, in last year, one of the colleges, actually the students petitioned the college, you know, that they wanted black studies, you know, so, so that is just the only second one that is going to start this second semester. So it's, and, um, yeah. And you said this is in 2018. 2018. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that because I, uh, one of my clients is in Ireland and Ireland, like many countries outside of the U.S., swears that it does not have a race issue. So, um, you know, it's like, no, that's them. We don't have a race issue. So um, I'm going to start this before we get into that. Let's start how we always start by asking you two questions. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing the scene? And um, thank you so much. Why is it? A, well, Again, it's important to cause a scene because if you don't do it, who's going to do it? You know, most times we're looking for change, we're waiting for change. I think for me, the most important reason why it's important to cause a scene is because as a Black woman in Ireland, everywhere in the world, whether you're in the, whether you're in the United States, you're in Europe, anywhere in Europe, everywhere, why do a group of people always appear at the bottom of the ladder? Scientifically, we've proven that there's nothing scientifically wrong with these people. So that means there is something that happens. And unless you're not impacted, unless you um, don't care, you have to cause a thing. You have to change it. For me, that is, that is what drives me. You know, how do we bring change about? We've looked at incremental increase and, and nothing is, you know. So, yeah, so, so it's really, really, really important to cause a scene, you know. And I, I look at myself as a, a little disruptor. So talk about that a bit. How are you causing a scene? 
And oh my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure just showing up in spaces in Ireland causes you causes a scene. Exactly. I'm telling you, I like, you know, I think sometimes, you know, they invite me for things and I get into the room and I am the only black woman there, you know, and you know, some people feel excited about it. And I always say, guys, I'm just gonna rip my script right now and start from the beginning. How is it that there's 300 of you inside this room and I'm only I'm the only black woman in here. Mm. So in other words, if I was not invited as a guest speaker, you would have this meeting and there'll be no single black person in here. So immediately, you know, I've just brought the elephant out from into the room. I put him splack on the table. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's no point in running around it. You know, like who's going, you know, who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. So, so in things like that, I look at like in, um, Last year when we had all the Black Lives Matter movement and protest and, you know, COVID as well. So there was just a lot and people were like whispering behind. I'm like, no, don't whisper behind. Like, you know, I'm not going to wait for somebody to invite me to come and have a conversation. I'm going to take my own chair and bring my own table, you know, because, you know, usually people are, yeah, usually people are waiting for them to create spaces. No, I went, I just I'd never run a webinar. I just went, I ran webinars and I ran them every week for eight weeks. You will not believe it. You will not believe it. Across eight weeks, I eight weeks, I had over 2,500 people attend those webinars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So people were not, do you understand? You know, so mm-hmm. again, it's like these conversations need to be had. There's no point in whispering somewhere to say these conversations need to be had. Create the spaces and have them. So yeah, mm-hmm. those are ways I'm I'm disrupting. And of course, you cannot miss me on social media. <laughs> <laughs> if you're on Twitter and you're in Ireland, you will, you cannot miss me. Mm-hmm. That's what I said. That a white man, that's my client, brought me to your attention. He was, cause so he started following um, more black and brown voices and specifically wanted to follow more black and brown voices in Ireland. And so that's how you came to my attention. So let's, I, the only thing that I wrote down from your introduction and everything you said, because it was only one thing, this one thing is at the root of everything. And it's anti-blackness. And it's the, it is the, I say this all the time, anti-blackness has been the most successfully exported um, component of white supremacy globally. Globally. And, and you, you, you really hit it right there because with all the scientific data we have, qualitative, quantitative, which demonstrates, which communicates with, which <laughs> I don't know what word to use that there is no such thing as race. And yet black people are always at the bottom. I don't care if it's black, if it's um, within the black community, the darker skin you are, the worse you have it. If it's among other marginalized groups, let's say Jewish people, the black and brown people who are, are the worst treated within those communities and outside of those communities. If it's in Asia, it is people who are lightening their skin. In Africa, it's people who are lightening their skins. Um, it is, per, it, it's um, there's this um, 
in Brazil, where this is the only country that after um, the, the slavery, they decided, oh, we won't talk about race. Everybody's going to be equal. Everything's going to be on, on par with everything else. And now they're realizing, oh, that doesn't work because still the black Brazilians are at the bottom. And as a government, we have to do something to to lift them up. So I really want you to talk about that because you that is so important to me because I want somebody from somewhere outside of the United States to talk about this. And then I really want to get into your book, Critical Race Theory and um, Is It an Inequality in the Labor Markets? Yes. You know, so, so I mean, like, you know, a lot of people, even among sometimes, you know, even among the black community, a lot of times we try to run away from that word black. Yes. We try to run away from the impact that this skin color, that this being black or being categorized, whether it's a symbolic blackness or um, physical blackness, how that impacts on people's outcome, how it impacts on people's experiences. We actually try to run away from it. We try to deny it. You know, I mean, in our And it's one of the reasons I embrace blackness. I do not call myself um, African-American. First of all, Yes, we're from Africa. Don't know where. Uh, so I want to I want to it it puts a stamp on the fact that slave owners strip me of whatever lineage I have. We don't you know, most of us can't get past when we do genealogy, can't get past where the slaves um, ships are. And secondly, I don't call myself an African-American because it's another default of saying you're American when there are other Americas. And when we say that we also make ourselves the default here in the United States. So I fully lean into my blackness and it's only been recently. And I can admit that it's only been recently. The more I've learned, the more I lean into my blackness. Yeah. Because think about it, you know, that the the experiences of people who are black, it's not because of the continent they are from. Yes. It is because when I'm walking on the street, they don't know whether I'm from the continent of Africa or from or what continent I'm from. It's the black color they see. Yes. And that's our calling card of difference. You know, it's like, hey, here I am. You know, it's our calling card of difference. And that is what, you know, it, it, again, I keep saying it that it's the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. It's like people expect us to forget. Yet, how are we supposed to forget when on a daily basis we are still experiencing the impact of it, where the impact has still not gone away? When you look at labor market outcomes, you still see the same group of people at the bottom. And it's interesting you 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 mentioned that because um, just this past Friday in the U.S., um, our labor, our um, uh, unemployment rates came out, and I mean job rates came out, and we and the U.S. shed 140,000 jobs, and in that 140,000 jobs, the most jobs that were lost were among black and brown people. We yes. were the biggest category of job lo- losers in 140,000 people. And the thing we have to ask ourselves is why? Why were this group the default to lose their jobs? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's constantly always like that. You know, you look at the labor market in our island here, the unemployment rate um, for, you know, the general unemployment rate before pre-COVID-19 was 5.4%, mm-hmm. right? But when you then break it down, and look at it on the basis of nationality of descent, you begin to see that Western Europeans, their unemployment rate was between 9%, between um, 5% and 9%. 
Eastern Europeans, their unemployment rate was between 13% and 19%. Africans, their unemployment rate, people of African descent, their unemployment rate was between 42.5%. What the fuck? What? Did you just say 42? Exactly. 42.5% and 63%. In fact, the Congolese in Ireland, their unemployment rate is 63%. You see, the thing is, and, and that's what pushes me, because you ask me, why do I cause a scene? Yes. Because there's nobody doing this. When they need funding or they need things, they put black faces on the thing to make themselves look diverse, to show there is discrimination. But there is no policy, there is no strategic plan to... Ch- if there was any other group, okay, in Ireland, we have the traveler community who experienced a, a high level of discrimination. But when you look at the level, I mean, like black people in Ireland are like super educated. Yes. Because we just believe, okay, the only way to pull yourself, you know, yeah. Yeah. is by education. So we, it's a default. We over-educate, mm-hmm. you know. And so at the end of the day, we're overqualified and underemployed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is the, that is the that is the thing that is happening so so i so you ask me why do we have to cause a scene because there's nobody we are not on anybody's radar we are not on anybody's agenda so and i want to bring i want to bring this to light too because you mentioned no matter what continent we come from they look at our black skin and this is why i find it very dangerous for people who are doing race studies to allow white people, I don't care who they are, if you are white presenting, if you, and I'd say this, if you can look at any um, form and check white, particularly if it's a government form and get away with it, I'm not parsing out if you're a, uh, if you're um, Italian, if you're Ar- Irish, if you're Jewish, if you can get away with that, you are white and you are treated as such. Now, what you do within your own community is something else. But when it comes to the systems, institutions and policies of the government, of our medical institutions, of our educational institutions, of anything that impacts our lives, if you can check that box, you are, pre- you are, have the privilege to leverage whether you want to or not the 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 default of whiteness and this is what people need to understand it's not um because i will i will have someone say well i'm jewish okay but you're white to me when i come out the house i'm black and you're white and we will be treated accordingly so unless you tell someone that you're jewish you're white or you you know somebody asks you your name and it's you know traditionally jewish you're white they don't ask me all that they don't ask me what tribe i'm from they don't ask me any of that they just call me a nigga <laughs> You know, so they automatically, like it's automatically ascribed to you. You know, I, when I teach about race, I say, you know what? You know, race is one, you know, race is one of those things. Nobody asks your permission about it. They oh. just ascribe it onto you. Nobody says, hey, kid, <laughs> would you like to? <laughs> oh, and it's, it's so funny because for so when I start the show, I say, hey, what are what are your pronouns? So yeah. at least we're even getting to that point, but no one ever yeah. asks, asks us. About, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. Nobody comes to say, hey, Kim, are you black or white? <laughs> what do you like to be described what, as? Black or what or kind of black are you? <laughs> no, girl, because they've already, as in fact, they've already, 
The thing is, they actually don't even, they impute it onto you and expect you to take it. Yes. And then when they impute it onto you, it comes, you know, it is not, um, it is not value-free. When they impute this blackness onto you, it is not value-free. It comes with all the values. So in other words, and I talk about, I, I try and write about my work. I talk about it in terms of stratification, that there is a racial order. Mm-hmm. And that this racial order, what it does is that anywhere, because you have to keep asking yourself, how is it that everywhere in the world is happening? Yep. There's no way, they've not called them aside to say, hey, this is how to treat Exactly. Them. They didn't have a meeting. <laughs> no, no. You know, I'm like, okay, they did not. But what I mean, is they ba- Let's be honest. They barely even talk about it. So yes. it's like, so for, for something to be unsaid, it gets yes. shared, it gets scaled at mass. Yes. Do you understand? I mean, it's a powerful, it, you have to look at it to know why we need to keep disrupting. Because if you don't understand how much the forces are against blackness, you don't get it. Because like you said, there's no conversation. They are not talking about it. So how do they then know? And how do they then reproduce this? That we have to struggle, that our success is in spite of. Mm-hmm. Because that is it. Because, you know, you look at, you say, oh, Apple, you've written and you, I say, yeah, it, that's in spite of, that is because I work five different jobs. Yes. I five different universities. Yes. None of my white colleagues do that. And yes. on top of that, I have to try and publish to still be competitive. Everyone in the hashtag called the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, Tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. I have to try and publish to still be competitive. Like you're really, that's that's how we succeed. And this is why I call whiteness mediocre and unremarkable. It has never had to compete. It has never had to compete. If you put me, if you put the default up against you working five at five universities, you doing um, uh, having to um, to publish just to comp- just to show up at the door. Yeah. Once we get, this is why the fallacy of um, affirmative action is is lowering the bar. Do you know what we had to get, what we have to do just to even be considered for affirmative action? Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, and I tell you, like you know, in, in my book, you know, so anybody who's read my book, you know, will find it there. I talk about it, you know, because it, they, there's a there's an anti affirmative action. I say that's because you actually don't understand what affirmative action is. Because if you understand Mm -hmm. what it Mm -hmm. is, you will first understand that the first benefactors of affirmative action was white people. And white women in, I don't know what uh, what it is in in Ireland, but white women um, benefit from it more than anybody else in this country. So when you begin to look at it, that your whiteness has lifted, you never start, because of your whiteness, you never start at the bottom. You start here. 
from everything that comes mm-hmm. has to do with um, generational wealth, even respect, regard, the, the automatic expectation that you can speak English, like it is ascribed to you. You don't have to open your mouth. You know, they, you know mm-hmm. so all of those mm-hmm. things is ascribed to you without you having to perform your value. But as a black woman, we have to perform our value all the time. Oh, I, I want to stop you there because I want, oh, you just said something that really... It's performance. We it, it's perform. What I'm, I'm still processing that because you <laughs> perform, and I'm writing this down. Perform our value because we don't get to walk in a space no. and and and, and have me. have value ascribed to us. No, no, you got to perform it. And so you- this is why when I first came into tech, when I first realized. You know what? There's a whole bunch of people coding, but I got I have a a set of skills that these folks need that they don't know they need. And I refuse to have them dictate my value. So I came in strategically saying being as loud as I could be so that other black women wouldn't have to be this loud doing things how I did it. Because if you can if you can deal with Kim on a 10, then you can deal with Dr. Obon on a two. You're like, okay, there ain't no big deal. She just on a two. Kim give me a 10 all the time. Um, and it is it is performing every time. Like I just got kicked off Twitter. Um, and and, and Lord have mercy. Yep, yep, got kicked off Twitter. And I, and on and I tell people all the time, my 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 target audience is white people. So they must understand that I am educating the oppressor while also processing my own oppression. And so what happened was somebody, of course, uh, I got I, I have a timeline and somebody decides they want to say something stupid on it. And I just went the fuck off on me. It was the day of the the day of the riot, the riots here. And it was some white person who just shut just. Can y'all just shut the fuck up? Shut the fuck up is always an option y'all rarely take. And so and so. I don't know who who um, who reported me, but I got reported for harassment and abuse. And they gave me, they were like, you have, tw- exactly, exactly. And you have 12 hours. We're going to lock your account for 12 hours uh, and you're going to have to delete the tweet. And at first I was like, I'm not deleting shit. But then I realized just, this is real. This is because I have to perform my value. I realized I cannot be off Twitter for, for, for them to, because I had did an appeal. It took three days. They never, I never heard back from them. And I was like, I, I have yeah. to perform my value. My country is imploding. My yeah. voice is needed. So I have to do this thing that I don't want to do. That is not fair. And I hate the word fair, but it's not fair. Um, and yet I have to do that just to be back to, in the conversation. That's it. If you want exactly that, if you want to be in the conversation. So, you know, our resistance you know, <laughs> has to be done in such a way that we're still in the conversation. And mm-hmm. that's what pushes us to mm-hmm. perform that value because without the performance, the, like without the performance, you are not even there in the first place. You can't even get in in the first place. You know, so, no, so it's, no, 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 nobody no, no. has to physically say, hey, you have to perform it. But you realize that, okay, quickly you get that. If I need to be on the table, if my voice needs to be heard, if I need to influence change, I need to be there. And to be there, you have to perform it. So it's an unwritten code. We must and, then, and not only is it unwritten code, but it's, it's a double-edged sword because we have to perform our value to be in the room. And once we get in the room, because we perform, now we're yeah. angry black women. We're yeah. all these things but we i had to get there just for you to get my for you to, for yeah. me to get your attention you know so it's 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 a very challenging one you know 
You really have okay. I'm gonna be thinking about this for for, um, because you just gave a you just gave me language to what this is. That's that's how I talk about it. Like even when I talk about racism, I say people performing racism. You're actually performing it, you know. So because every time we we give in to a racist act, you have a choice to either perform that racist act or not. And so when you do it, you've chosen to perform. It's a performance. That's what it is. And so even us, mm. you know, as, as mm. black women, we have to then perform our values. We have to then perform the contribution we can make, you know, and the choice we then have to make. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're not really given a choice, you know, whether you want to or not. Because, you know, our experiences yes. are, are, you know, are context driven and they are, you know, they are not value free. You know, so yeah, so when you begin to look at that, it, it mm. impacts. Mm, 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 mm. Ooh, I'm going to be unpacking <laughs> this for, for, a few, uh, for a little bit. So, so tell me about the book you've just written. First of all, tell me how you got started in all of this. Where were, was this your original? Because I know you said labor. Um, was this original, your original academic tr- um, path and you just stumbled upon race or was race always a part of it? Because for me, it was always, um, you know, I'm pursuing my doctors in business administration. So for me, it was, I see that most of these things out here, these organizations aren't actually businesses. They're products and services that people have been able to scale, but they have no business structure. So let me go in and help them get business structure. And then I'm smacked in the face every time I come in. It's because, oh, these places are racist <laughs> as hell. <laughs> so I got to deal with, I have to deal with, because I, I tell people I'm not an inclusion and diversity expert. There is just never an inclusion and diversity to deal. I'd have to deal with that before we can get to anything else. So I stumbled upon it. And being from the South, I never want, I mean, I had an epiphany when, when John Lewis's body was being taken over the Edmund Pettus bridge, I called my mom and she just cracked up laughing because I was pissed. I was like, when did I become a part of the civil rights movement? I didn't sign up for this shit (laughs) because I know, as you said, performing, I come from a city that this is what black folks have had to do all the time. And I know how much, how much it wears on us. I know how much, how hard, much harder it is for us. And yet I know that if I'm not a civil rights, if I'm not in the civil rights movement, nothing, nothing moves. moves. I get that now. And it was just a recent yeah, connection yeah. for yeah, me. I mean, you said a couple of things, you know, one of the things I talk about in my book, and we'll get to that is I talk about how your experience, you know, in the, in the United States, you talk about the reconstruction era. And so when I began to do my research and I was looking at stratification, so I was thinking, oh, reconstruction, what does it mean for us? Okay. I want to stop you right there. Could you explain stratification? <laughs> okay. Because so, I just want to make sure my audience knows. I would like to make sure everybody's on the same page. So if you can give us what you mean by Okay. So what I mean is that I define first, I will give the definition and I will explain it. So I define stratification as a homogenizing system of structured inequality, where an assigned default starting position determines access to scarce and desired resources based on group membership. Now, in in simple terms, let me explain that to you. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you read my book, you will see like there's a triangle. No, that was deep what you just said. That was that was deep what (laughs) you just said. So, okay, for those who need us, let's break it down to the kindergartners, to the babies. Now, what what, what does that mean? So what it means is that first is that racial stratification is a system that helps to 
reproduce homogeneity within the system. That is the first thing. So it is a system of structured inequality. Because you ask yourself, I, and, I, and I say that in Ireland jokingly, I say, you know, we have like Irish names, you know, I'm like, how does Quiver keep recruiting Quiver? All right. How does um, Fegel keep recruiting Fegel? Because so there is somewhere in, other, in a way that they reproduce, you know, after their kind. So racial stratification is a system. Most people, when you look at data, we look at where people end up. So we say, oh, 50 percent likely to be unemployed. I'm like, no, racial stratification is not about where you end up. It is about where you start. So if you start so far back down where you end up becomes almost inevitable unless mm -hmm. you have to work one, two, three, four times as hard to be able to achieve the same result. So what mm -hmm. I want you who are listening to think about like a ladder, right? Somebody is at the bottom of the ladder. They start at the bottom of that ladder. And then another person starts on the fourth part of the ladder. Now imagine if they have to reach for the same um, goal, Who's going to get there first? Absolutely the person who is starting on the third ladder. That's what whiteness is. Whiteness mm -hmm. positions you to start on ladder four. Why blackness positions you to start on ladder three? Hell, blackness positions us not to be on the ladder at all. At all. Exactly. You're not even on the ladder. Because at all. I tell people all the time if, if this, because people, you know, in the US, we want to go back to where, you know, go back to when, when America was great. Um, if we go back there, I'm supposed to be a slave, boo boo. We're not going back there. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not going back there. At all. We were never even considered in the Constitution. No. So all these people who want to keep talking about the Constitution, no, we're not going back to that either. <laughs> I, I wrote an article recently in Ireland because we were having this debate about um, there's this book they read in secondary school to kill a mockingbird, you know? Mm, and so mm -hmm. I said, you know, the, 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 that book allows people to use the N-word. In fact, you actually read, you reward your students in the classroom for using mm -hmm. the N-word. And mm -hmm. then you confuse them and tell them that it's wrong to use it. I said, mm -hmm. when that book was written in 1937 or 38, when it was written, they did not expect black people to be in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so for mm -hmm. you now to be teaching black people with a book that was written when they did not expect black minds to be listening to it is a disservice and a violence against our minds. Yes. Yeah. You know, oh, my word. Yes. All of those kind of things that, you know, so again, so, so the systems we are living by, the systems we're operating by was not generated, was not created to, to house us, to accommodate us. The systems were created to keep us out. In fact, like you said, not even on the ladder in the first place, you know, so nobody's pulling off the ladder. The ladder just wasn't created to accommodate mm -hmm, us, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the first place. So, so that's racial strata. So if what you think about racial stratification is that it's not about where you end up, it's about where people start. And, and so you look at that people from the African continent or people of African descent or people who are black, what they do is everywhere in the world, irrespective of how wealthy you become, your default. So that's why if you see my definition, I say it is a default starting position. So because of the the, the color of the skin and being black, your default position is at the bottom of the ladder. So mm -hmm. when I talk about that, it means that you can actually change your economic positioning on the ladder 
but you cannot change your racial positioning on the ladder. Okay, stop, because this completely explains why when we talk about black uh, maternity and infant mortality rates, um, it does not matter. They have they have um, um, tested for income. They've tested for um, class. They've tested for um, um all the things and black women continue and their babies continue to be in the highest percentile for um, infant and mother of de- um, death related to childbirth. Yeah. Because- and that, and, and, and that's only been, I will say confirmed because it, we've, we've known it, but it's only been confirmed because of Serena Williams and, um, and Beyonce knows who both, Serena almost died. Yeah. And 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 uh and Beyonce had her own and because they told these stories, yeah. it now people believe. Yeah. And this is why I have fundamental problems with people who keep pushing um Medicare for all. You live in a country that has universal health care and it's still racist. Yeah. So it is in those systems, and you're really I'm loving this conversation because now you're connecting dots where I didn't have the language for it. I've been saying it in very fumbly ways, but now you're giving me the language to to talk about this. I'll give you an example of that, you know, because when I explain it, people, I'm like, I say, no, you can become as rich and as wealthy as you are. But when you come into a place where you are unknown, you become your default positioning, which is at the bottom of the ladder. So when you go into the hospital and you are unknown as this wealthy black black person, you become the default black person who can withstand pain or who fakes their pain mm-hmm. or who pretends about pain. Do you know who should, you know, who should be treated second? So you become that default positioning. I'll give you a quick example with um, Oprah. And I try to, I use that Oprah Winfrey's example too. And, and people get it really quickly. I think was that a couple of years ago, she was in Belgium. You know, I mean, in the United States, if Oprah walks into any store, like they would close the store for her and say, mm-hmm. yep. okay, yep. so she was in the store, Switzerland or Bel- I'm not sure where now, I can't remember yes. now. But it was in was- a white ass country. <laughs> <laughs> she was in the store and she walked in and she wanted to buy a bag, you know, and she was looking at the bag and the lady in the store said, there's nothing for you here, you know. It was like pretty woman all over again. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to buy it back. She ref- absolutely refused. And Oprah had to walk out from the store, you know. And then, of course, you know, they made noise about it and there was apologies and all of that. But you see what I'm saying there is that when Oprah went into that store, she was not Oprah Winfrey, the wealthy billionaire. The billionaire, no, exactly. She was, she was Oprah Winfrey, the black woman. And at that point in time, she was not her economic strata, which was at the top. She was her racial strata, which was at the bottom. Oh. So when they see yes. when they see us, you know, when you look at that, when they see us, what do they see? You're your default. Every time when you go, to, that's why when you meet people who don't know you, when I meet people who know me, Oh, I'm Dr. Ebon Bloody Black. But when I'm on the bus, I'm just another black girl to them. Yes. Oh, I love this strata idea because now it's in my head about um it, it helps people understand how people with the same so one of the things that 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 um 
that I'm loving this when I'm seeing my little, my black girls, my, my black women, young black women is they're they're at this place where they're, um, if they've been in their, like at the beginning of the careers and let's say her name is, um, is, um, is Sarah. And then you have Maggie, Maggie's a white woman. Sarah and Maggie went to the same school. They were best friends. They were in the same sorority. They hung out. They have the same, live in the same apartment. They share an apartment. They get a job at the same place. All of a sudden, Sarah looks up and Maggie is getting promoted. <laughs> Maggie and, and Sarah's like, what is going on? I've applied for these positions within the company and I can't. And, and Maggie is just moving up and they don't, and they can't, they haven't, they're, they, they're at that place where they're starting to see it because this is a generation of people who were taught don't see color, which is exactly. problematic in itself. Exactly. So they don't have even the skills that we, you and I have yeah. because we know that this is a reality. Yeah. Their whole their whole upbringing has been to ignore, not only to ignore, but to strongly deny. And if you bring it up, then that's a, you get admonished for that. If you say I'm having a different issue, I'm having a different experience because of my race. People are like, no, you're not. You're just being. So they're experiencing this for the first time. And it's interesting to see. And those are the little bird. And I call them my little, these are the little birds that I like to take under my wing and say, okay, now you, now I, you, I couldn't, couldn't start this lesson until you had that, yeah. that moment. Yeah. You had to have that lived experience first yeah. for you to get ready for this next moment. Yeah. So, so Kim, you have to realize that, you know, the system, particularly the young people who are born, you know, here and who have not taken that extra lecture in black studies or, or, you know, black, you know, you know, all of that, they are getting exactly the same education the same social conditioning that a white person is having. And so they will come out, they will be black skin, but they will be white mask. Mm -hmm. so they will, yes, they have a black skin, but their experiences has taught them to treat race the same way a black, a white person would treat race. So they are oblivious. And so they, you know, they tell you, oh, race doesn't exist. Oh, it's always you mm -hmm. talking mm -hmm. about race. Exactly mm -hmm. the same way a white person would deny to you. Mm -hmm. Until I said, just don't forget it. You know, some people actually have really horrible experiences from secondary school. And I said, but when you get to university and you get into the world of work, I said, from there, you will begin to see the divine. Yes. Mm -hmm. be, I said, deny it all you can, you'll begin to. You graduate with a first class honor. Somebody else graduated with a, with a, with a third class. The person will become <laughs> your manager in five years. Yeah. Yep. They will yep. be your line manager. In fact, you will have to be phoning them to use their links to get an appointment. And and they have probably used your, your, your information, your scholarship, yep. your hard work to get to that place. You know, so so it's um it's 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 challenging enough, you know. So so those skills need to be, you know, need to follow. And so this speaks to why I say that, um, and this is why I don't black people are not my target audience because I cannot process my own oppression and process their oppression too, and also get any work done. And we just all be bawling and and arguing and stuff. I I need to get I need to get work done. I need to scale this. And this is why there is, we as a community have to deal with our own internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness within our own communities, because you just hit it on there. It's this whole assimilation thing. We're required to assimilate. We're required, we're required to be civil. All of those things are about whiteness. And then when you're told um, that you are, 
you're you're just the same. I don't see you. I don't see your color. We're treated just the same. You may not see me as different, but the systems we're in that manage our world to see me as different, and and not only see me as different, but treat me differently. Don't just see you. Treats you different. It it ascribes all of that to you. So what you can get, it actually controls what you can and cannot get. Like I keep saying, it like you know, is the, the the racial strata. You know, uh, helps me to really see it clearly. Those people yes. who've been able to beat it have been those who have walked one, two, three, four, five times as hard. You know, I used to hear that. I used to try to understand what do they, I know, yes, we walk, but how could I explain it? For me, if you look at the racial strata, you will see it. So some yes. on ladder one and you are starting on ladder four. That's it. For you to achieve the same result as the person on ladder, who is starting from ladder four, where you are starting just trying to get on the ladder. Yeah. So, so, so tell, so again, how did you get into this work? Was it, uh, was it, you were doing labor work for, for university and then you stumbled upon, or did you, and did you already know? No, I didn't know. Well, you know, like from my experiences, yes. You know, like you would know from, you know, we, there's none of us who is, um, who is free of this experience. Exactly. You know, so uh-huh. we, we're all impacted. We might deny it. We might lie about it and not, you know, but we're all impacted one way or the other. In our secret moments of truth, we we talk about, you know, our own experiences of, you know, being treated differently because of your race. But I stumbled upon it, you know, so most times I always say, I never wanted to become a black scholar. I exactly. Never, <laughs> you know, when I went to university uh, to do my doctorate, I did not say, oh yeah, I'm going to become the black woman scholar no it just Mm -hmm. you understand you know so uh, what what brought me into those work I was working in fact that's what I have that's why I started by saying that my industry experience is a as a career development consultant that's that's what I was trained at you know but I was working for an organization and one of the things I began to notice is that depending on the nationality of descent of my clients it took us longer for them to navigate the labor market. So my black clients, it took like two years for them to even get unpaid work. I'm not joking. I'm saying Mm. unpaid work. It took us like two years to navigate the system. While some of my colleagues from Spain or or Poland, you know, that was around 2007, between 2007 and 2012, you know, when I was working in that organization from Poland and Spain and even many who couldn't communicate well in English, who had to learn English, three, six months, nine months, they already got a job. Mm. Yeah. And it's a paid yeah. job. It's not even a, it's not even an unpaid job. No, it's a paid job. A paid job, you know? So I began to say, I like, I'm noticing this. So I did the master's first, you know, to show that, you know, because they say, oh, language of the host community. Um, they say, you know, um, citizenship, you know? So those are the key things, education. So that those are the key reasons why black people were not progressing so much in Ireland. So I said, okay, let me find people who have all the So again, for you, it's the same thing we find in tech. They always um, blame the pipeline when it's not the pipeline. No, it's not the Mm -hmm. pipeline at all. So I disproved that completely in my work because Mm -hmm. I then did research to show that, you know, people, I compared like with like. In other words, those who had university degrees, you know, I compared their experiences. I compared 
had three different nationalities, their outcome in the labor market using my own data, but also using the census statistics and then using interviews. And it really showed, I compared Spanish, Polish, and Nigerian um, people of those descent, you know, working in Ireland, compared their labor market outcome. And on every count, the people of Nigerian descent in Ireland who ha even had citizenship, their labor market outcome was worse on every count. When you're comparing, mm. you know, educated, when you're comparing masters or PhDs, on every count, they fared worse. Mm -hmm. Even worse than, you know, um, you know, other counterparts who did not have the host language. In other words, couldn't speak really well in English, you know. So, so you know, began to look. So that's how, like, I got into all of that. You know, I wanted to be able to understand what is it? What is that system? Yes, I know we say discrimination, we say racism, but how does it operate? I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently this work, this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable is collectively viewed by many as noise, bullying, troublemaking, as contrarian for controversy's sake, rather than what it is, a necessary evolution for the overall health and well-being of those who work for us, partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti-racist lens strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, please follow me on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N-1, Kim Creighton 1, and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started Hashtag Cause a Scene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. Thank you for the years of support, and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day. discrimination we say racism but how does it operate exactly exactly how does it operate to understand this is <clears throat> this is why that, that, that i find wanting in a lot of people's scholarship is they can talk about race yeah. um at a very even I can say at a, at a, I won't even say a high level, but not that it's not low level, but when you talk about what you are saying, how does, how does your work yeah. help change anything? Yeah. Very few people have answers for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so that, so for me, I really, you know, so my book, like, you know, the book I wrote, you know, it was based on this research. So it is quite, it's a, it has a theoretical foundation and a background, you know, so anyone who really wants to understand, I talk about the system through which um, this racial order operates. And I call that the favoritism continuum, that there is a continuum 
you know, depending on where you are on that continuum, if you're on the negative end, you will experience this favor. So in other words, the more of difference that you exhibit in the labor market, you know, or in life generally, the more difference that you are, difference that you exhibit from the host community, you will appear, it will push you to the negative end. And the more to the negative And I talk end, about that in, I talk about that, the closer, the further you are, the closer the closer you are from, to the default, the better your experience. The further you are away from the fault, the worse your experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I described that. And the default the is white, yeah. male, Christian, heterosexual, cisgender, married. Um, those are the those are the main ones. <laughs> and if, if the closer you are to those, anybody can check as many of those boxes, the better your experience will be. Absolutely. Anybody can check. And this is how, again, when we're talking about internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness, particularly when you talk about Christianity in the black community, because that's one of the defaults, but we don't have the same experiences. No, no. I'm- so that, that, one, that, that Christianity... Ma- is is makes people think we're the same yeah and yet it requires us to discriminate against other folks Mm. because we have a false sense of where we are on that ladder we think we are on a different part of the ladder you know maybe spiritually you are but in the physical reality you are at the bottom and so the default you know and one of the interesting things from my work that showed up you know and i write about that in the book is that you know the, the GDP of where they think you're from. So when you're Black, they think, okay, this person is from poor countries. So the GDP mm-hmm. of that country is ascribed not just to the continent or to the country, but to the people, the, the, the descendants and the products mm-hmm. that come from there. So you look at it like, you know, the darker you are, you know, all of those countries, whether they, where you're trading with them, their products are always diminished in the labor market. Even when, if that, I say that even when you're educated, because that education is contained within a black body, mm-hmm. the education the education is see, seen as inferior to one that is contained within a white okay, body. Okay, so even when you went to the same school, so you just hit on something because there's a, a, um, a documentary called Poverty Inc. and it talks about <clears throat> these do-gooder nonprofits that come into these black and brown communities who want to be saviors and how they destroy the economics of those countries. Cause you're talking about GDP now, right? So yeah. it talks about in that, um, that, that, that uh, documentary, how Kenya had the most prolific and abundant and v- varied cotton um, cropped. It had very, the, the variety of cotton, but yeah. because <clears throat> these companies um, decided to um, to be good do-gooders. They ended up decimating um, Kenya's cotton crop because they were giving. How do you compete when someone's giving you something for free? And yeah. then now all of co- Kenya's cotton is imported. Exactly. You know, so they will work work against it to the point where it will have no value. You know, talking down and then <laughs> and then blame us for not having exactly. the value. <laughs> I mean, if you think about if you think about Haiti yeah. and and what exactly. Haiti is still paying back France yeah. for what they wanted their free. Why is Haiti still paying France back? Exactly. But you yet know, you want to call this a shithole country. All of their resources are going out. 
And unfortunately, unfortunately, I think that sometimes they assume that we're dumb enough not to notice, but even dumber not to mention it. And that's why we must cause a scene and that's why we must mm-hmm. disrupt. We must- and and I could tell you this as 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 challenging as Twitter is at time, particularly for Black women, because it, it is is a it's an absolute shit show. The fact I could tell you that these these platforms democratize this information. It allowed me to see I'm not having. It's not just my experience. It's my experience. Somebody else down the street, around the world, all of us are having the same experience. Now this is a whole another conversation because if if it's everybody, then it ain't yeah. us. Then it's no. not us. <laughs> it's because what they do is make it a failing on us individuals. Yeah. They 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 don't we don't no, nobody wants to talk about the systems, institutions, and policies in place. Yeah. That yeah. they benefit from. <laughs> I think one of my one of my lovely tweets, it wasn't mine. I you know, I saw it on Twitter, but it was quite nice. He says that the system is not broken. No, it it's builds that way. It is it is a functioning as designed. Exactly. The U.S. the U.S. imported its economic system to the world. Our economic system is built on fundamentally on the justification for the um, annihilation of indigenous people and the enslavement of Africans. That is what our economic world system is based on. And and we still were still silently trying to maintain that. Forget about everything that was saying, mm-hmm. because when push comes to shove, when you when you send in that application, you know when they see us, you know they're still you are still expected to be at the bottom. You know, there are still some jobs they think, oh, no, not for you. Some promotions that you still don't get. You know, some levels you still need to struggle and pay and struggle to attain. You know, so it is, it is, you know, it, it hasn't gone away. Unfortunately, it hasn't gone away. And, and remember- I just put your book on my um, hashtag called the scene um, wish um, with Amazon wish list. Somebody in the community better to get better be sending me this book because um, <laughs> I don't pay to educate them because. <laughs> This is you're speaking to you're down the you're you're a specialist and I'm a generalist because what I'm looking at is how do we redefine capitalism without white supremacy? Mm. What are the economics of being anti-racist? And you're speaking directly to that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we, we need to look at that, you know. Um, yeah, I, yeah, that, that system that I talk about, you know, I talk about acceptance, you know, I talk about, you know, um, you know, the racial order, about the group favoritism, and that the more accepted you are, the you know, it pushes you so yep. up on that ladder, you know, up on that system, you know. So it's 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 it is worth looking at, you know, um, because people want to understand what are the key things, you know. So if you look at that, and unfortunately, even while I describe it that it comes from group favoritism, it is very difficult to legislate against group favoritism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, know, we're so seeing that in the United States. Yeah. And that's com- that, that is being shown all over the world right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's a challenge. You know, it's, it's a challenge. But look, we have to keep disrupting. We have to be, you know, look for that change. We have to, um, we can't keep silent, you know, says, you know, evil prevails when good men say nothing mm-hmm. you know? so that we have to speak up. So what would you like to say in your final moments on the show? Um, I, I, I want to say that everyone that if we look at the changes that we've made for COVID, 
We the NBA moved, you know, it stopped for so many months. It, that would have been an impossible imagination. Mm-hmm. The NFL, you know, um, in Ireland, students in Ireland students went to to university without writing a final exam. How does that happen? But we did all those things like this within mm-hmm. six months. We if in fact within three months we effected those changes. Mm-hmm. We've been struggling with racism for 500 years, for 500 years, and we're still saying that we should wait for incremental increase. Mm-hmm. We're still talking about how difficult and how impossible it is for you to diversify your team and organization. When you say that, it's not a problem of, I don't know what to do. It is a problem. It is a lack of care. So mm-hmm. what we have today is a care crisis. If you're not making the change, you don't care mm-hmm. because the things we care about, we actually do something about it. So that change that we're asking for, it's not impossible. We have literally done the impossible for COVID. I know and- that COVID is still expanding, but we've done almost the impossible to accommodate it because we care. And in and, and more recent news, I know COVID is still going on, but here in the U.S., um, the I don't know what date this episode was gonna is gonna air, but on January sixth, we had an insurrection attempt, a coup attempt, and tech fundamentally all those things that they couldn't do, they couldn't ban t- t- Trump, they couldn't take exactly. this down. Exactly. Look how quickly. Everything, everything in, in between that Wednesday and that Sunday. Look how much it changed. Yeah, because so, so at the, because because they're they're, they're and that's, that's what I was. This is what the tweet I was trying to wor- work out when Dr. Yvonne was coming on on the air because we're seeing in real time these organizational leaders reevaluating their calculation of reward to risk. Yeah. They're now reevaluating that in real time because uh, um, they are, are, are a crisis management issue they don't want to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And you this know? is what I've been saying before. Whiteness needed to be in excruciating pain for yeah. there to be fundamental change. Absolutely. You know, for it has to. And that's the only thing. Look at COVID. I keep going back to COVID because it's been the biggest eye opener for me. Mm-hmm. Whiteness was in pain mm-hmm. when Ebola was in Africa or somewhere yep. like that. We did not make those changes. Yep. Yep. We just locked them up. We said, close the, close the borders. Mm-hmm. But now whiteness is in pain, like you said. What have we done? We are trying to make as many changes as oh, possible. Oh, yeah, we just get it in. Get it in while we can before they get bored. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, so so it, it's all of that, you know. So we got, you know, we got to find more people who care. If you say you care, if you really, really care, you can be that change. You can do something. Don't wait for someone else from your space. I always talk about influencing your circle, your circle of influence. If all of us make the change within our circle of influence, we will have a better world. Thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. I love speaking to black women. (laughs) Thank you and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Call the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Call the Scene community. Just visit the website at hashtag to sign up today. 
On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.